This is an extended bonus episode of Season 4 of Catalyst, an investigative podcast from KXAN News and Nexstar Media Group. I'm Josh Hinkle. For the last several episodes, we've been taking a closer look at Texas police transparency problems when people die in custody. For in-depth analysis of that issue and how it could impact you, we sat down with one of the state's leading experts, Eva Ruth Moravec, executive director and co-founder of the Texas Justice Initiative. And quickly to our listeners, thank you for your patience with the audio. Like interviews in the last episode, this was recorded recently through a video call online as our team works remotely during the coronavirus pandemic. Now, here's our conversation with Eva Ruth. We are a nonprofit organization that's based in Austin, and we build and maintain a portal for data on the Texas criminal justice system. So what we do is we use the Public Information Act in Texas to basically gather data from different governmental agencies And then our team of amazing volunteers works to clean the data. We post it on our website in a way that the public can easily understand and access for free. Um, We also maintain our data sets by keeping them up to date every month. And our team is continuously building new tools and making tweaks, making improvements to our portal and our offerings. Um, And we also try to provide oversight of our data as much as we can. This is a trickier and more time consuming piece, but um, very important that when we do come across errors in the reporting or missing reports altogether, our goal is to have a more comprehensive and correct data set. So we work to try to inform these agencies of errors. And what we hope is that our website and our data offerings can serve as a resource for journalists, for researchers, policymakers, um, you know, activists and the general public to just really understand our criminal justice system better. What's your background? I have been a reporter in Texas for about 15 years, doing lots of print coverage of um, Texas law enforcement and government. Um, and I, I've covered police, you know, lots of officer involved shootings and sort of the breaking news beats, executions. Also been a reporter um, at the Texas legislature. And that in 2015 is where kind of the idea really started. Um, I was working as a reporter and in 2015, there was just this national sort of wake up call um, after the death of Michael Brown in Ferguson that we really had no idea how many police shootings there were. We had no baseline to even know, you know, what was right or wrong. And um, Representative Eric Johnson in Dallas started to um, look into that and he created a bill that started collecting data on officer-involved shootings in Texas. So I was in graduate school um, to get my master's in journalism, and I started to uh, collect the data in these reports. And I wanted to both use the data to get to the context, figure out how many 
there were and get kind of beyond anecdotal reporting of these incidents um, and to identify people who were victims of these incidents, maybe unjustly. Um, and when I finished my master's program, I did end up writing a journalistic series that ran in um, several Texas papers about the shootings of unarmed people. And I kept this data going, this data set building. And um, when I graduated, I wanted to put it in, in the home of an agency or, or some organization that would keep it up and allow it to continue to serve as a resource because as a reporter, I knew that that didn't exist. Um, and I couldn't really find a good home for, for it. So that's when my uh, co-founder Amanda Woog and I joined forces to build this site that could just be a resource for data. When we talk about the data that your site has, it's so much more than officer-involved shootings. What are some of the more tapped resources you guys offer? We continue to offer our kind of bread and butter, what we launched with, um, which is data from shootings of officers, shootings by officers, and deaths in custody. Um, and so that those data sets are updated every month and you can view them through charts that are filterable and downloadable. So people can really dig into what they're curious about. And when you download the data from our website, we do ask you if you found what you needed um, and if, if you didn't, if you can give us your email address so we can help you find it. Um, and so that, that data is, is used well. I think we're continuing to you know, grow the awareness about TJI and what we have and how we get this data. And you know, all of that helps people really understand and trust our data. Um, we also have um, an interactive tool that shows deaths of people um, in jails who die while they're waiting for trial. So they have not been um, convicted of a crime. They have not even gone to trial yet. They're just being held um, post arrest. And so we wanted to look at, create a tool that could really highlight you know, those, those deaths and um, dig into those causes a little bit more. And then our um, newest data sets are um, from the pandemic related to what everyone is dealing with right now. Um, back in the spring, we saw fatalities start to come up in um, Texas jails and prisons related to COVID-19. And so we started a data set on those and we have um, a map that shows deaths of individuals who um, were in Texas jails, prisons, um, on both you know, county level, state level, and also federal. We also have another data tool that shows the deaths of officers um, in Texas of COVID-19. Well, I wanna bring in KXAN investigative producer, David Barrer now, because he has used some of your data sets for this latest investigation we've conducted. Yeah, so we use TJI's uh, data and it's really the only um, comprehensive data set of the custodial death reports that we could get uh, outside of um, requesting it ourselves, but what y'all have done with compiling it and cleaning it and getting it into a good spreadsheet that we could use, it just made it 
accessible. That's what we use to, to basically do the um, and data analysis and find the problems with law enforcement agencies filing these reports late or not completing them. I went back and just double checked everything in the database itself because we were able to kind of distill down the data to several hundred that we could actually just look at uh, individually. There's hundreds of instances of these agencies failing to follow the law um, and, and we use your data for that. So thank you. The question to kind of get into the reporting that we're doing is what, what are your thoughts when you hear that there are hundreds of agencies that have uh, left their uh, custodial death reports incomplete for more than a year and that have um, filed it later than 30 days. I'm glad you asked and I'm glad that you could come to these conclusions using our data. That's exactly what we were hoping to do. So thank you. I do think it's commendable that, you know, Texas does require this type of reporting and that we have for so long had this law on the books. The data that we present online goes back to 2005, but we do have custodial death reports that date back much further than that, which is there, it's an incomplete collection, but it is interesting that we do have that, um, that focus and that priority to start looking at these back, you know, in the 1980s. As you guys know, you know, this, the law does not really effectively penalize agencies that don't follow the law. It has been my experience and my interactions with law enforcement agencies when I point out that there is an error or a missing death, that most of the time it's a case of an individual being uninformed or, or maybe a personnel change or you know, something like that happened. It's not necessarily an attempt to cover up a death, but you, know, you have to wonder if that possibility exists, right? When you know that there can be these very long lags as well as just completely missing reports altogether. And there is no uh, mechanism to really compel these agencies to file their reports when they are missing. Those are difficult things to get around. And um, it, it does affect that, you know, the comprehensiveness of this data set. And as an organization that has data scientists, that's something that makes my team uncomfortable. Um, but we also, you know, always make sure to, to have that caveat that this is data reported by agencies and it is incomplete and we know that. Um, but it's also as good as we have, you know, and as good as many, many states have. Texas beats many other states out in their custodial death reporting requirements. The question that you asked, it makes you wonder if an agency is covering something up sometimes, especially when you see an agency that has not followed this law in multiple cases. You know, maybe it is just something that's a very simple mistake, but when you see an agency has not followed the law multiple times, that really makes you wonder. Yes, it does. Um, and on the other hand, this, this is an example of something different where it may not be one agency, but multiple agencies. Um, the Texas Commission on Jail Standards is currently under sunset review. And in the executive director's self-evaluation, there is this problem of jails releasing people essentially on their deathbed on personal recognizance bonds. 
And when that situation occurs, the agency has taken the perspective that they don't need to file a custodial death report. Why would that take place? You know, there are, I think, questions to be asked around that. I give Brandon Wood kudos for bringing that up and bringing that to light as something that he's concerned about. And um, I do think that there are actions that agencies take that do make you wonder. I will say I don't see a lot of repeat offenders. I think, again, it, it is probably more connected to individuals. And it starts at the top. You know, if, if the head of the agency is um, a, a proponent for transparency and following the law and, you know, data-driven policing and all of these wonderful buzzwords, then, you know, they are going to want to do this right. Um, but if they're more of an old school, you know, kind of everyone is the enemy who wants to poke their nose under the tent sort of mentality, then gives us the impression that you're hiding something and that's never good to have that suspicion. So, um, I mean, the one exception to that, I would say has been this past summer um, with the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. And they have had dozens of reports go unfiled for more than 30 days in many occasions. Um, I've corresponded with the Attorney General's office and TDCJ's report person about that. And um, I think they're, they're, they continue to work on it, but at this point they have like, I've counted 46 missing custodial death reports on individuals who TDCJ has said have died of COVID-19. So um, I don't think that that is um, surreptitious either. I think that the custodial deaths that have taken place in TDCJ facilities this year are much higher than in previous years and they're swamped. We went back to the lawmaker from the 1983 session, Walter Martinez, who actually put this law into effect, just to ask what was his intent? Why was he interested in getting this transparency out there? It hasn't turned out exactly like what he thought. I guess for you know people who might hear this and think like, this isn't just about people that are you know data nerds or people that wanna compile records or something, there is a benefit to the public to have this information out there. Can you discuss that? Well, it's, I mean, it's a personal thing too, right? Because if, you're, if your loved one died in a prison or a jail in Texas, getting information about that death and what happened to them is difficult. And this allows a window into that instance. It's not everything. It's, it's a first glimpse, but it's required by law for every death. So that consistency of peeking into that instance, I think is really important for the public. In general, I mean, I think that there are a lot, there's a lot to learn from these reports and just reading about people's experiences when they are incarcerated and things like access to healthcare or, you know, the descriptions in these death narratives can be very eye-opening and can really shed light on what it's like to be in prison or jail. Um, and I think that's really important, but I would love to hear what his, 
his intentions were with the bill initially. He was seeing some of the same problems we're still talking about today, nearly four decades later, were playing out back then. You know, uh, people were dying in law enforcement custody, and there was the need to examine that and have that information out there. So they could look for trends or patterns that might be developing, or at least hold these law enforcement agencies accountable that what happened in your care is going to be published. I know that in recent years, technology has gotten so much better and the attorney general's office has been putting these reports online. So there's a benefit to the public to be able to see that as well. Absolutely. I think, um, yeah, when there's been a lot of reporting on like the dead suspect loophole and the fact that, you know, people cannot get information about somebody who died, who was a suspect of a crime. This, you know, cuts through that, right? This law applies to even those instances. So even if somebody who is a suspect dies in custody, you can still get this very basic information. And, you know, each of these boxes is, is a piece of data, but a detail. There are questions asked about, you know, how were they sort of screened? What, what, have they experienced mental health issues in the past? I mean, I think those questions, even though they're just boxes that are ticked off, they really do help us understand. And if you're a family member who can't find out what happened to their loved one because of the dead suspect loophole, this provides some basic information. And there is an importance to the timeliness of it as well, because, you know, not only does it help with the understanding and the grief process, but there may be legal ramifications that um, need to be taken against officers or perhaps the family wants to file a lawsuit. Yes. I mean, evidence can be better preserved in a timely manner. I mean, you can, we know it's a lot easier to get information in in real time than it is um, decades later. I actually just received a call this week from somebody who, um, her, I think her father died in a Texas prison more than 10 years ago. And she's trying to get um, the cause of death on the custodial death report changed. It's never been updated. It was one of those that was reported as unknown or other initially and has never been amended. And there's no agency, that, there's no one who can help her um, to get the record corrected on how her father died. I remember an early um, case that I worked on, the person's name was misspelled. And just imagine that's your son, you know, or your loved one, like you can't even get that fact corrected, you know, and there's no, the attorney general's office by law is the repository for this information. They they have no responsibility to correct it. And getting these agencies to go back and amend a report from 10, 15 years ago is going to be pretty low on their priority list. And so lawmakers today are saying the law has no teeth. There's nothing that uh, the attorney general's office really has to do about it if people don't follow the rules. So some of the lawmakers, you know, we've talked to specifically uh, Representative Eddie Rodriguez has talked about giving the law more teeth um, to make it possible for the attorney general or you know, district attorneys be able to do something about it. It's the piece from law enforcement that is like in a lockbox while the case is under investigation, you know, but for things like these very 
you know, simple reports. That's something that um, law enforcement agencies, APD and some other ones have brought up when I asked them about this. They say you should go, you should talk to um, the attorney general's office because they're the ones that enforce this stuff. And I say to them, that's actually not the case. According to the AG, they don't have that authority. Do you find that you're seeing um, like a misunderstanding of who's who holds who accountable over the reports and if they're filed correctly? The truth is there is no one that is holding anyone responsible for these reports being filed correctly. By the law, it's not the attorney general's place. I don't fault them for that. Um, also, you know, the agencies themselves aren't gonna self-police. Um, and that's sort of what the system that we have when, when we're relying on district attorneys when a report is missing. You know, that that is just not gonna happen. So I think that that is um, something that, that could be amended, that could be changed and remedied um, by the Texas legislature. I, I hope that they, that they are interested in that. I think, you know, this gray area that we admittedly are in right now is not ideal for anyone. Um, back in, so in 2015, the officer involved shooting reporting law was passed. And it similarly had no teeth, even fewer teeth than the custodial death reporting law has now. Um, there were no ramifications for agencies to not file their reports within 30 days. And through this series that I reported, I found more than a dozen fatal shootings had not been reported to the state. And that was fatal shootings of officers and by officers. Um, I think there were a few reports from the Dallas police ambush, for example, that were missing even. And there was a, a police chief whose death had not been reported. Um, so it, it was clear to me that, you know, there were some issues. I wrote a story about the missing reports. In 2017, Representative Johnson came back and amended his bill and set up a process for missing reports and addressing that. And it seems to me that that system has worked well. I remember hearing in that process from law enforcement agencies when, when the, the amendment was being considered, like, why don't we want to comply with this law? It's a law, of course we should comply with it. You know, we're law enforcement. We make other people follow laws. So I think that um, just having a mechanism is, is something that could be really powerful. Um, the solution for the officer-involved shooting reports is that there's a form now for people to fill out when there's a report that is incorrect or missing, and then the attorney general receives that report and does investigate whether this is an accurate complaint or not. And then if it is, they go to the, the agency and say, hey, you have to file this report, you have seven days, um, and if not, you'll face a fine. And I haven't checked how many times that fine has been used, but I would imagine very rarely, if at all. I have, however, filed dozens of forms saying that reports of shootings are missing. 
And that has resulted in the reports getting filed. So that system has proven itself to be successful in my opinion. And I think that if what we're trying to get at is this more accurate data set that a similar you know, template could work for custodial death reporting. And we've had similar experiences, you know, when David has pointed out to a law enforcement agency, hey, your report is missing this, or it, it needs to have this in it. Um, they've gone back and corrected it pretty in a, in a pretty timely fashion. So that was good to see. Talking about the legislative session that's coming up, we're hearing from lawmakers that are close to law enforcement transparency issues in the past, that this might be a good session for that type of um, bill. You know, you mentioned the dead suspect loophole. There have been efforts to close that thing for the last couple of sessions at least, and it has failed. Um, but because of everything that's going on in our nation right now with, uh, you know, law enforcement being under a microscope because of allegations of excessive force or brutality, um, the conversation around race today, uh, it seems like if there was a session to boil down on the need for transparency, this might be it. Agreed. I think, yeah, I mean, we're all looking at data dashboards every day, right, with COVID to see what's going on. I think we've become more data literate as a society. And this is something that we now almost expect. And to learn that there is such a lack of it when it comes to criminal justice, I think is very eye-opening for people, especially when you look at how much we spend on law enforcement and criminal justice. Um, so I think that that's a good thing. Um, for that awareness to be on the on the rise. Um, I don't want to lose the ground that we have made in Texas, which has been significant. And I think that, um, you know, these relationships are really hard, as we've seen other criminal justice legislative sessions fall apart over, you know, really partisan bickering over something completely unrelated. Um, these issues are really fragile. And so, you know, it's, it's really hard to kind of craft bills that will strike that correct balance and get, and get the right folks on board. But I, um, I think this could be a good, a good time for these discussions to take place. And I think if we are looking at custodial death reporting that we could improve upon the form, you know, there are more detailed questions that people probably want to know now that maybe weren't as important back then, like, you know, the weapons that were involved, if, if the individual who was killed um, had a weapon, any kind of detail on that, details on uh, maybe their medical treatment in a facility, drilling down to what a natural death means um, requiring, you know, we do allow our reports to be amended in Texas when more information comes to light. Um, and I think kind of requiring agencies to provide those amendments or those amended reports um, to not just leave these death reports saying other unknown pending autopsy, that sort of thing, but really fill in the, the gaps of information. I think all those things would be great if we're looking at improving custodial death reporting, but I, I would, uh, yeah, definitely wanna see this continue. One of the most powerful lobbies in the state of Texas is the police lobby. And we've seen, like with the dead suspect loophole, with transparency measures aimed at law enforcement, that the police unions have 
been opposed to that. And that has been very challenging for people who are advocating for um, more openness. And I think that there is the possibility that could happen again this legislative session. There's always um, that possibility. I was really surprised when Eric Johnson was able to pass that officer-involved shooting bill in 2015 at a time when these conversations were starting to really happen in public much more. 2015 was a hard legislative session too. Not a lot, um, you know, it was, a, it was tricky to get stuff passed. And then in 2017, to be able to change that at a time when even less criminal justice legislation moved was really impressive. And I think that should mean something. You know, we also in Texas have had um, dash cam um, laws and body cam laws. And we have other elements of transparency in policing um, written into our laws. And these have been important to Texans for many years. It's not a, a gotcha or an anti-policing sentiment. It's we're Texans, we wanna know what you're doing with our money and with our resources and how you're treating us. And we have this liberty and this freedom and you can't take it away. And I think like what Eric Johnson did and what so many others have had success in is like chipping away at an issue legislatively. You know, you have, he knew the first version of the OIS reporting law wasn't perfect, but get something out there and then maybe the next time you can change it and make it even better. So, you know, that's why I think like improving upon the custodial death reporting law that we have, adding teeth to it, answering more questions on that report would be fantastic. Um, and then like going in other directions too, what other data do we need to be collecting in this time that maybe we didn't care about previously? You know, we do, um, traffic stop data and the racial profiling um, data, which is in interesting states as well. Yeah, I think it's just a good time to kind of, while we have this microscope and this interest in data and policing to maybe broaden that into what other data sets should we be collecting that Texans wanna know about and that could shape policy because the whole point of collecting data is to be able to say what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, where we can make improvements and what consequences our actions have um, to potentially change policy and make things better. Well, Ava Ruth, thank you for being with us and thank you for everything your organization does and for sharing that data with journalists like us. It helps us tell our stories and um, makes our job a lot more efficient. Well, I'm really grateful that y'all are using it and. We have more data sets on our wish list, but we are also open to ideas. So if there are criminal justice data sets that would be helpful for people to see in Texas, um, please let me know. Thank you so much. Thank you. To find out more about the Texas Justice Initiative, we have a link in the About section of our digital investigation that accompanies this podcast. Online now at deadincustody.com. Catalyst is reported, produced, and edited by me, Josh Hinkle, along with David Barrer. Digital support for this episode comes from Stephanie Dockery, Arzo Dost, Rachel Garza, Matt Mitchell, Christine Sanchez, Martin Sanchez, Robert Sims, Kate Winkle, and Corbin Wright. KXAN's news director is Chad Cross, and its vice president and general manager is Eric Lasberg. Mm-hmm.